What's the story behind the story? We'll find out on Dropping In. Our guests are today's original thinkers, conversations that spark new ways of seeing what's going on. We bring it all to the table. Diverse perspectives, controversy, loving, and singular voices. Magically, stories reveal the common threads that link us. Experience the joys, the fist pumps, the detours, and the hard-won truths of those who blaze the trail so that we might do the same. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. We're here to discover what we thought we'd tucked away in the back of our closets. But now, it's actually taken us hostage. It's in our shoebox, the place where we keep our secrets, ones that now we have the time we need to unpack because it's impossible to dance around them anymore. And possibly these surprises or repressed memories hold us back from achieving what we want in life. The book is The Shoebox Effect, Transforming Pain into Fortitude and Purpose by our guest, Marcy J. Keithley. She says, what we put in our shoeboxes or what we discover in someone else's can alter the course of our entire lives. I am proof of it. Welcome, Marcy. We're so excited to meet you. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank, thank you. Uh, I was introduced to Marcy through our dropping-in guest and friend, Julie Ryan Magoo, author of Twice a Daughter, a memoir and the story of her discovery that she and her identical twin sister were adopted at two weeks old and were perhaps not the strong Irish family they'd thought, but one with more nuanced lines of French and Native American heritage. Welcome back, Julie. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Diane, for involving me in this this conversation. I'm sure it's going to be a wonderful experience for our listeners. I think so. Marcy, I am going to let you um, tell your story, but I'm first going to... Um, I'm first going to define the shoebox effect, and I'm going to use your terminology because I, I think people do need to understand. You you had a fantastic career trajectory um, at Merrill Lynch and other financial institutions. The shoebox effect is a term commonly used in the financial and insurance industry. It references when somebody pays the normal price for reimbursable services and then saves the receipts to include when submitting a claim. These receipts often stored in a shoebox are usually forgotten and never submitted. And the person saving the receipts usually never reaps the benefit of doing so. So how does that tie into your story, Marcy? Yours centers around a shoebox as well. Yes, it absolutely does. And, you know, Diane, the, it's, it's very simple. The, the rediscovery of a 30-year-old shoebox literally changed my life. And I use that analogy. Uh, my former career was at Merrill Lynch and as a vice president of a bank for over 32 years. And I remember that term. And uh, when my story does open in 2007 with the discovery of that shoebox, I use that analogy because we as humans, we do that. Uh, whether it's a spiritual shoebox, an emotional one, a physical one, we all have something uh, from our past, whether it's a grief, a loss, a pain, something that we're, we're holding back. And uh, what we keep inside that shoebox can bleed over into our personal and our professional life. And 
just changed our life totally. And that's exactly what happened to me. It's fascinating to me that both of you, uh, well, and myself, um, we, we have had this uncovering of secrets in our lives. But I, I, I look at you two, and I think that, you know, there's been a kind of exponential growth of you as persons. And I want to just look at some of the parallels of what you've experienced and maybe get a feeling for um, this kind of resilience that occurs, right, Julie and Marcy, your personal growth from confronting the past. Who wants to lead off and, and just talk about the strengths that you've developed along the way from having found out these secrets? Well, I'll just chime in. Um, I loved uh, Marcy's book um, because I think for adoptees, um, our secret, those of us that were closed adoption adoptees, um, we stuffed away, or I did for for sure, uh, you know, this idea that, well, if I can't know, then I'm not going to even pretend that I want to know. And once I was faced with some health issues and decided I needed to know, um, all the secrets came out of my little personal shoebox. And I essentially, there's a term in uh, adoption terminology called coming out of the fog, and that aptly uh, applies to my situation. I literally went from oblivious to, um, I would say, fervent about wanting to know about all those secrets that had been kept for me. And this discovery of all those secrets really catapulted me into um, who I am today, a writer and uh, certainly an, an advocate for adoption rights. Um, so it really has been a full circle journey from discovery to um, becoming the person that I am. I love the word fervent. I, I love the um, amount of passion and, and drive that's behind that. Um, and it, it suggests that you developed like a kind of a new gear in yourself, that there was this, this pursuit, you were not going to let go of this pursuit. No. And, and it's interesting. Yesterday I was contacted by somebody who um, had, had read the book and she'd written this beautiful, um, you know, review, but how it reflected on her own personal journey. We had a lot of parallels in our stories, having been adopted through Catholic Charities in Chicago. Uh, we both used the same intermediary to find our birth relatives. And I think sharing that experience with other people has been what this journey is all about for me now. It's not so much about the book sales, um, but it's about helping other people make choices that can perhaps improve their life. So that's my focus um, with where I am after the, after the book publishing. It's a and beautiful I have to thing. Echo what, what, and I have to echo what Julie just said, because in my journey, in my personal journey, that's what I found as well. It was in that, in that loss, in that grief, in that rediscovery uh, of opening my shoebox and going back to the past, and confronting my losses and my grief and what I had experienced that I found meaning in my loss. And I found a new direction and a new passion to also support the uh, adoption community. 
And that's where I am today. And that was Marcy, a 10-year journey. And Marcy, well, thank you for clarifying. I, I want to uh, let the listeners know that we are looking at a, a kind of a full circle here as well. Marcy, you were mm-hmm. a woman who, who surrendered a child and you did, as many of us do, um, you put away the memory of, of having done so, um, but therefore maybe deprived yourself of what you just said, uh, discovering the meaning of your loss if you were never revisiting it. And I wonder if you can speak to how keeping things in the shoebox leaks out our own power uh, and our our determination to become fulfilled as people. Yes, I think for me, and I, I want to take us back to 1978 when I created that shoebox and I came home from the hospital without a baby. Um, I was trying to heal myself. My grief had never been acknowledged. I was never allowed to mourn my loss or talk about it. And it was so, to me, in my, my young mind, I just made up this box to house my pain, to write a poem to my daughter, to put some artifacts and some pictures inside the box, to tie it up and throw it in that closet and throw sweaters over it like it would. I had contained my pain. I could control it. That was, that was how I processed it. And it wasn't until the rediscovery, when it was knocked over by my golden retriever in the fall of 2007, that I'm sitting on the floor of my closet with my dog, looking at all these shoeboxes, looking at that going, it was the universe's way of saying to me, it's time. Now, I had was walking around thinking that I was leading this great life. I was a successful banker. I had a wonderful life. I thought I was living the American dream on the outside. But on the inside, I was broken. And at that point, I really didn't know that you know, grief, uh, you know, you can, be, you can be broken and successful at the same time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was walking around in denial. So with mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the actual decision, that awareness of knowing that I needed to find out what happened to my daughter, and I knew the only way in my mind to find her was to find him, and he was my first love. It was the courage to open up that box and to revisit my past, and that's what I did. And I went back and I found him, and four months later, he, was, he became my husband, and together we went on a journey, and we found our daughter together. It's, it's a remarkable story. And that's just story. where the story opens. That's just where mm-hmm. the story opens. Do you think you discovered, like, a new courage in yourself? I mean, you were obviously courageous, but maybe driven... Um, in a way that was, you know, you, you, you talk about even using work as a disguise, as a yes. way of camouflaging. Yes. Um, do you think you found a new kind of courage in yourself when you contacted, it's Roger, right? Um, yes. your, and, mm-hmm. and, then, and then your daughter, uh, Jesse. Um, it, it, it was another, another depth, right? Another Yes. degree of courage. And it, it struck me that it was when Dreyfus, your, your golden retriever, mm-hmm. was actually dying and, and he had gone into the closet yes. to die, which is what animals do, right? They, they, they want to hide their death or they, they're, they're seeking a place of shelter. Mm-hmm. 
And it was there that you saw Dreyfus and it was there that you saw the shoebox. I can't help but think that it's such a transformational moment. Um, and it was. It was holding, it was a realization sitting on the floor of my closet, holding Dreyfus, seeing all the shoeboxes and the one laying on its side tied shut with a yellow ribbon. And I remember rocking. I remember holding my ears and and crying and saying, you know, I could still hear my babies cry. Oh. It was just an awakening that I knew the, I had to move forward. And mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared at that point, obviously, but the universe was way ahead of me. It was long overdue. I'd been walking around in denial and hiding behind a career because I was too scared to open the lid and revisit that pain. But you're right, Diane, in finding Roger, finally there was someone to share that with. Finally, we were talking about it. Finally, it was being acknowledged. And that's a big piece for um, a mother that's lost her, her child to adoption is this disenfranchised grief. Uh, we don't talk about it. We're told not to talk about it, not to think about it. So to finally have someone with me who got it, gave me this mm-hmm. level of, of, uh, of courage to, to seek her out. And when I could finally step out of the shadows and say, I surrendered a child to adoption, and the, you know, the sky didn't fall, right. it took me even further. Yes. And uh, that's how it started for me. It's just... Um, you know, the, a, a point worth mentioning, just couldn't help but notice the yellow ribbon. You know, you tie a yellow ribbon around a tree when you're waiting for someone to come back. Um, and, and it just, it, that also just struck me. But clearly, the, it's also remarkable that Roger, you know, he, you had told Roger that you were pregnant and he could not face that reality at the time when you were very right. young. Um, and, and, yeah. And you you bridged that um, chasm, and I, I think that that is also something which is you know the two of you had more than maybe you thought you did. Um, I just have to let you know because I, I I hope or I I think maybe your ears were burning, Marcy. I I did meet um, Julie Magoo for lunch um, recently. It was delightful, and and speaking about what we've both commented on, which is the unimaginable sorrow of a mother relinquishing her child. It's almost beyond, uh, if it's possible, it's almost beyond, um, Julie, if you'll just comment, if you want to comment on this, it's almost beyond being an adopted child and finding out that you're adopted. It's a different kind of processing, right, Julie? Yes, um, and I, in my conversations with my birth mom, um, she shares some of the similar things that Marcy shares in her book, you know, this anxiety over the placement, um, what happened to us. She often talks about how guilty she felt um, by having, uh, you know, left us with Catholic Charities but the overriding emotion was her shame and 
the shame that society put on unwed mothers back in 1959, and then the silencing of all that. It really, to Marcy's point, it blocked her whole grieving process. And then when my twin sister and I um, became in, in reunion with her, it, it brought back all that grief. And she had to learn how to manage that, that grief that was coming back and then step into not just um, the role of a mother, which she had not, uh, she'd not mothered any other children, so she had to step into a new mother role, but also um, mothering two daughters that were now middle-aged people. So there were so many transformations um, that she had to navigate, and she was a woman in her late 70s when, when we first made contact. So I think one of the um, harms that closed adoption did was to, to uh, close off um, all access to information, but also access to emotions that we should have been grappling with. Um, my yeah. need to know and my birth mom's um, ability to deal with her grief. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it's definitely a circle that needs to be closed. Um, and and we, we are deprived of, of being able to share these emotions, which are so healing. Lest anyone think this is all in the rearview mirror, it is not. Um, you, you know, this kind of um, grief over surrender and having an experience that's just too terrible for words and shameful, um, it, it, it is still happening. And it still happens to people every day finding their shoebox, finding the place to hide things away that that we can't grapple with. When we come back um, from a commercial break, we're just about to pause for a moment here. We're going to talk about forgiveness and acceptance and how acknowledging your role as a birth mother um, and Julie, in in your case, obtaining her letters and meeting her uh, and, and contributing to a sense of wholeness. Um, This is not just um, a a trajectory of of morose, um, you know, depressive thoughts, but it's really coming to terms in such a keen way with the whole idea of self-acceptance and forgiveness. Our guests are Julie Ryan Magoo and Marcy J. Keithley, both authors, both coming at it from... Um, I would say different points on the circle, but we're all part of that same spectrum. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you are listening to dropping in with diane dewey we'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com that's diane at dianedewey.com now back to dropping in welcome back everyone we're here with marcy j keithley author of the shoebox effect transforming pain into fortitude and purpose and julie ryan magoo author of twice a daughter a memoir both of these um i would both of you i would say are expert expert in the field of forgiveness and acceptance. It's not what it looks like on paper. Let's talk about the traditions of what forgiveness is supposed to look like as opposed to what it really does look like. Marcy, do you want to comment on that as, as, your, um, as your journey took you through these emotions? Yes, uh, you know, one of the things Obviously, I mean, I had to learn forgiveness for myself, and that was something I had never done. And I had to learn how to prioritize my self-care, you know, free from guilt, because as a, um, a mother who surrendered, that was something that I carried my entire life. So learning to forgive myself was a journey, and it, it just didn't happen for me overnight. And But once I was able to prioritize my self-care... I was able to, you know, I can acknowledge the parts that I, you know, of my surrender that, that I could control and those that I could not. And to actually acknowledge my story and own my story, you know, I, I, I was stuck in my, in my story for so long that I was the story. And this, being able to forgive myself, I was fully then standing on my story and I saw it through a whole, whole totally different lens. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I accepted that, and um, that's how it worked for me. It's almost as though you abandon parts of yourselves, right? You, you, you we abandon the, the parts that, because you know, it's interesting. Julie mentioned this point, which I think is a really vital statistic to just show at what its cellular level this impacts yes. women. Is that most many, um, the majority of surrendering mothers actually do not conceive again. Um, it, is, it is something that, while we mentally put it away, can't, can't possibly be put away. And you say, Marcy, Mar- this, this absolutely riveted me. Um, your quote was, I believed I deserved a self-imposed sentence that I hadn't fully uh-huh. served yet. I'd felt that way for decades. Um, and to... To punish yourself, I mean, coming to self-acceptance, Julie, this idea of self-love, you can't avoid it, right? You, if you don't start out with it, you wind up with it because it's the only way to attain true self-care. What are your thoughts there? Um, well, certainly my story is a little bit unique because I had the... Um, the wonderful benefit of growing up with my twin sister. And so her love and support throughout our life, we, um, you know, 
we had forgiven our birth mother and certainly our birth father for placing us for adoption because we had a wonderful childhood. We had loving parents. Um, what I had to work hard at doing was forgiving my birth mother for the second rejection, which was when we located her and she denied contact. Um, that took a while and um, months, in fact, and then she did change her mind. And I think in the back of our minds, my sister and I had hoped that she would. Um, then there was another level of forgiveness, which was, while she welcomed us back into her life, she refused to introduce us to anyone outside her immediate family circle. So there was a lot of forgiveness happening all the time with the main goal of staying in relationship with one another. And I think mm-hmm. part on my part, um, I had to let go of some unrealistic expectations You know, when you meet a woman that you have fantasized about all your life, you have them on a pedestal that, for one, they don't necessarily deserve to be up there um, on that big pedestal, but they don't want to be. And so there was a coming, um, an acceptance of who my birth mom was and wasn't, and forgiving her for her mistakes, but also so wanting her to stay in our lives that we had to we had to work at the relationship and figure out uh, what was going to work for both of us. How, how does that rest on your ears, Marcy, when you hear first the level of longing um, and and the and the way that the way that we have to realize we're all deeply flawed? How does it sound to you as as the, as the birth mom? Um, on the other end, you know, it's it's very it was very difficult um, in reunion. If, and if I can talk about a scene in my book, this might help explain it. Uh, with my daughter, when she came to my home for the very first time and spent the night with us, we were my husband and I, her you know her father, her birth father, we were. You know, I'm riddled with guilt, happy happiness, but I'm, you know, when I'm hearing her story, I'm, I'm brokenhearted because of what I found out. But as we're sitting there that evening, uh, she laid her head in my lap and she was looking up at me and stroking my face and saying, you are my mother. You are my mother. And I'm crying and she's, she's saying, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm not mad. I forgive you, Mom. She's saying these things. She's looking at me and saying these things. And I'm looking at, you know, my husband and the three of us, and all of a sudden we weren't, we weren't the, the younger versions of ourselves. And the room mm-hmm. became very crowded. And I remember how emotional I got and, and begging her, her forgiveness. And she... She was the strong one. I, I wasn't expecting that. And she was the strong one and wanted to console me. Um, I found that I was lost at that, at that time. I, I, I didn't know what to say. Uh, but she needed that comfort. She needed to touch my face, look, look in them eyes, say you're my mother, and say it's all okay. Mm-hmm. And what about the idea of, of being able to walk around and 
put yourself, Jesse, your daughter, put herself in your in your shoes in the sense that we all make mistakes and these ideas about forgiveness, maybe they are big idealizations that, you know, your mother, your mother is, she left you. She didn't leave you. She put you in the care of someone who told her that she, that you were Mm -hmm. going to be okay. Um, You know, I think a lot of these dichotomies get very exaggerated, very black, white, so that the idea of forgiveness, which is, you know, in in Judeo-Christian tradition, you know, you forgive and forget, it isn't like that, right? It's about accepting the humanity in all of us. Um, Absolutely. And how how did it play out in terms of forgiving yourself then, Marcy? Well, before I even got to forgiving myself, we have to remember, too, that there are additional family members, and not everyone was happy that, that I went into, I entered into reunion. So I had to, I had to forgive my parents. I had to you know, forgive my parents, my mother, my father, Roger, and obviously, ultimately, myself. But I'd always put myself last. Mm-hmm. And that was, it was extremely difficult to do. But as I shared with you, in my, in my journey uh, with Jessie, and with helping her and trying to blend this new family, I was freer. I was able to, uh, both of us, share our stories. We were able to sit in that uncomfortable place. We embraced that uncomfortable. Uh, and it was, it was very difficult. And, and during that time, um, I knew that obviously I couldn't, you know, my daughter had, like, as I shared, she had a very difficult adoption. I couldn't fix her, but I knew I, I could fix myself and I had to start there. Mm-hmm. And that's where I began, um, was just you prioritizing my self-care. Mm-hmm. And for once, I mean, I really, I understood this idea of just being, um, you know, making sacrifices and, and, and always kind of a sense of punishment. Life is a form of punishment um, until you've opened these boxes and free, free yourself. It's not exactly freedom. It's a transition to other, other maybe more authentic emotions. Right. And, you have become, Marcy, the shoebox Sherpa. You have, in what way have you channeled your energies to, to help others to uh, transform themselves and forgive and accept themselves? Well, you know, again, back to the, the story where the adoption, well, the reunion, it does fail at, at one point. And I was sitting in this lost place of, I don't understand how we are all together, but it's falling apart. Shouldn't love be enough? We're all together. I, I knew that that's where I went, was to that uncomfortable place. And, and I found that if we sit there long enough and we acknowledge, you know, we sit with our sadness. And I know it takes courage to be there, but if you can sit there and you t- and it bear that pain and shift through those broken pieces 
which I call magic in your mess. I think you can find something there. And what I found was telling my story that set me on a new pathway of connection to others. And I channeled the, uh, the guilt, the shame, a lot of the anger into uh, adoption reform. I began to understand why the records were closed. I self-studied the adoption laws in my home state. I advocated to get those laws uh, changed by adding my voice as a, a first mother uh, to testify in my state's capital. And it evolved from there. And it was in the adoption community that I found meaning and I felt that I could give back. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where I found true forgiveness, acceptance, and a purpose. That's That I couldn't go back and change the past. I couldn't fix any of it. But I could own my story, accept my part, and do what I can to help reform adoption uh, and and help others. Others, yes. uh, like Julie, uh, you know, there's so many adoptees that experience rejection from uh, their families of origin. I can mm-hmm. be a listening voice to those. I can be a mm-hmm. mom to some of those adoptees that, that can't even go into reunion. I can find a purpose, and I, I've given my life meaning. I think that, um, Julie, you can also, this resonates completely with you. And, and what, what an incredible um, journey, what an incredible way of transforming this pain and the shame that comes from, you know, the sense mm-hmm. of being rejected as an adoptee. Your, your, your role as an advocate, Julie, it's taken you to a much wider community and, and maybe both of you from, I, I know both of you from being an author, but do you also share that sense that now you have, well, you always had your sister, you, you had, you know, many different things as each situation is unique, but the sense of belonging, is it different now? Well, um, of course it is different because I've branched out into so many groups, but I want to tap into something that Marcy said um, about the community. It wasn't just about my uh, uh, um, birth mother and my sister and I. It was also about my adoptive parents and their stance. Um, my father was somewhat supportive of me entering reunion, but my mother was not. And um, I think that that is the big conversation for adoptees is this balancing of we want connection with our family of origin, but we also want to stay in relationship with our adoptive families. And there's this big balance between trying to make two groups of people, both who are important to you, um, make them happy. And what I found after having written the book and shared it with both my mothers um, was their generous spirit in accepting my words and my, my feelings. I was so nervous about revealing that I'd written this memoir to my birth mom and my adoptive mom for fear of what they were going to say and how they would react. Would, you know, would we continue on in the, in the traditions that we had been experiencing? And both of them were very receptive. Um, neither one of them asked me to change anything in the book other than their names. Um, and we've gotten to a good place. Now, 
you know, from researching my adoption, which was in 2010, 2011, and now here we are 10 years later, I can finally sit and have coffee and a sandwich with my adoptive mom, and she will ask me, how's your birth mom? Um, mm-hmm. We didn't spend a lot of time talking about adoption when I was growing up. And so it is the conversations that are improving that are so important to me. And I think that's the value of your, your show, Diane, and bringing Marcy into this panel is the ability for all of us to have this very important conversation from different points of view and expose our, your listeners to how complicated this is and how hard um, everybody's working at trying to improve adoption law and the conversation surrounding it. Absolutely. It's not, um, and thank you for that. It's it's not about finding a, a different community to belong to. It's about deepening the ties that you already, where you already are in your family. And you talk about staying in relationship. It's It was a challenge for, it's a challenge that ironically, the person who's going through the, you know, the secret, the secret releasing either the adopted child who's just discovered her origins or the, the first mom who's discovered her child um, or who wants to discover her child. Oddly, it's the person who's experiencing, let's say, the most pain that's responsible for balancing everyone else's emotions around them. Um, and, you know, I think that it's it's so interesting listening to both of you realizing how much you were juggling, realizing how much you were keeping everyone's um, feelings and and caring and thoughtfully dealing with everyone in in these situations. Uh, It can't help but make you stronger people, much more self-aware people. And people that have come through the other side with just an expanded meaning of what it means to be human and, and to have community and what, and what your purpose in life is. I I think it's so exciting that you've discovered this, this purpose in life. We, we need to pause for a commercial break. One of the things that we'll talk about when we come back is the uncanny repetition of intergenerational patterns. Um, and we're going to talk about the ponytail, Marcy. Uh, we can't get away from that. Um, it's, 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 it's just another uncanny coincidence of which there are many. And, and it does point to a supernatural architect, as you, you've both said. So don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In with Marcy Keithley and Julie Ryan Magoo. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. 
To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with two authors who've made a real difference in the conversations around adoption and first mothering. Marcy Keithley, The Shoebox Effect, um, This is a Life-Changing Story, and Julie Magoo, author of Twice a Daughter, a memoir. Um, this, these, these books both just go a long way in, in moving the needle. Um, and, and one of the things that is, is just noticeable in these stories uh, is, is intergenerational trauma, how things somehow repeat themselves um, and, and unfurl in our lives, sometimes at the same point uh, in our life as the previous generation. Marcy, you're at age five, your mother, um, for reasons of her own, departed the scene. I'm sure it was incomprehensible to you. Um, you, you, you then learned that age five, um, Amber's mother, your your daughter's um, your your daughter's daughter, also this this was repeated, um, and I I just want to you know let, let's look at the symbol of the the ponytail just because I think that that somehow to me it was so strong, Marcy, in your book um, because the the shoebox effect is a book that is part memoir and I would say part self help. There's a lot of probing questions at the end of each chapter that can help us process our own shoebox lifting of the lid. Marcy, you, you, you had a ponytail all your life. You were a, a girl with long blonde hair. I, I noticed, I couldn't help but notice you've got it back now. Um, maybe it was part of your superpowers as a, as a young child, but <laughs> unthinkably your mother, when she knew she was leaving, ha- cut, had your, ponytail cut off what did it symbolize then yeah what did it symbolize then what did it come to symbolize later and what do you make of these intergenerational patterns it was um it was very traumatic for a five-year-old to one day uh, mommy's in the home and the next day mommy's gone and there's no explanation Uh, but the day before she took me to spend a whole exciting day with me at the end of the day uh, she took me to to a salon and had all my hair cut off and uh, the next day I woke up and not only did I not have my ponytail but my mother was gone and I always associated those two things together um, the disappearance of my mother and my hair and when we fast forward uh, to to present day when I find my shoebox and I go back and I go to my mother um, and, you know, she, we go through the whole story and I show her my shoebox and she lets me know that I didn't, 
I was not the only one that had a shoebox of pain. And she leaves the room and she comes back and she had a shoebox of her own. And here I am at 52 years old and I opened up her box and there was my ponytail Mm. from 1960. And she said, you know, that was how she knew she had to leave. And when I asked her that question, I said, why did you do that? And she said, I knew I would not be there the next day to take care of it. So she took a symbol just like I did and wrapped it up in a box and hid it away. And she was trying to heal herself and hide her shame and her guilt and her pain and carried it all these years until 2008. Isn't it amazing? And then you also, because you reveal this in your story, so I don't feel as though I'm revealing any confidences, but you also learned that your sister, Judy, Jude, um, carried her own shoebox. Tell us about that. That's true as well. Um, In my, my my sister died suddenly, and she had always lived with me off and on throughout the years. And it took me two years, and I was cleaning out the garage one day, and I found her tote, and I was going through it. And inside of that, my sister had her own shoebox. And I found a letter dated 1966 and some baby items, and my sister had surrendered a baby to adoption as well. We uncovered that. Um, So three women, Mm -hmm. actually four women, including my daughter, my mother, she lost her mother at four. Then she lost me. I lost my daughter. Jessie lost her daughter. And my sister mm-hmm. lost a son. And we all basically did the same thing. You know, I, it's all too common. It's all too normal. I can think of a family of a dear friend. She has three adoptive children of her own. Her, two of her sisters were first mothers. And, you know, I, ca- I can't help but think, wait a second, if we weren't having so much secrecy, could we have kind of kept these families together somehow? But it's not to be, not at least in, in this point mm-hmm. in time. But it is, it is not, it is just not uncommon. It's something that we don't talk about, like the weather, so we don't realize it. But it is something that touches so, so many of our lives. I, I also just want to point out that I, it, is, it is something that cuts through social economic classes. You know, you, you start to look at what I would say traditionally, maybe the upper classes were much more interested in closing ranks and keeping secrecy until you realize, no, it's completely universal. It cuts through every uh, race, every ethnicity, every religion, uh, every demographic, uh, this universality of, of keeping secrets. I wonder how your sense, both of you, I, I know that you grew up in a Catholic family, Julie, how did your sense of spirituality evolve through these experiences? You know, it's interesting. Um, certainly, I, I was raised in all Catholic schools, um, but one of the one of the tenets of my parents' generation, and I'm sure this is 
similar to others, um, you know, they had this philosophy of you don't share your dirty linen. Um, and if something, uh, if you don't talk about something, it's almost like it didn't happen. And so mm-hmm. that relates to my, at 48 years old, having this breast biopsy and digging into my closed adoption. Um, I was, uh, you know, it was something we didn't talk about adoption or what happened before they became my parents. And I think I needed to talk about it before then, um, but it wasn't a cultural thing. It wasn't uh, something any of my parents really wanted to do. And certainly writing the book, um, sharing all the dirty linen was something I was afraid to do. And breaking that pattern has been, I would say, very healing for my mom, my adoptive mom, and myself because I, I so admire this next generation, my, my children, um, for they talk about difficult things. They put difficult things out on social media. They're not afraid of sharing their dirty linen. So we have made progress, I think, um, from one generation to the next, from grandparents to grandchildren. And I think it's good that we talk uh, more openly about the things that really uh, are important to us becoming better people. Right. To normalize this conversation, what about the near misses, Julie? Because I know you had them, Marcy. I know you had them near misses where you almost bumped into one another. Um, as, as a first mom, you almost bumped into your daughter. You almost bumped into your your sister's son. These these coincidences, uh, Nancy Verrier talks about these near misses. They are colossal in people's lives. Yeah. Without spoiler yeah. alerts on these books, what what do you make of these near misses, Marcy and Julie? We have just a few minutes left, if that's even conceivable. These near misses. What? Um, well, I love Marcy's term. You know, I put it out to the universe because I think essentially. That's what's going on is there's this swirling of energy that we don't really understand um, how we can have this synchronicity in life. So I was essentially leading a parallel life with the brother I didn't know I had, um, and he was closer than anybody would have imagined, and it took a lot of uh, digging to figure out who he was and where, uh, where he happened to be. But, um, wow, how much fun. Uh, once we figure out how we're connected with others. Marcy, your near Thanks. misses and, and what your conclusions about all of this. How does it happen? Yeah, I, 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 I chose to go on vacation in Florida with some girlfriends. Well, they actually chose Florida. And one of my clients came into the bank. We were just trying to figure out where we wanted to go on vacation. He said, hey, stay here. You know, you can go to Sarasota. I have a home down there. And we ended up going to Sarasota, and that's where my daughter was living when I went on vacation and didn't even know it. I was five it's, minutes from her. It's, it's something we still don't have the language for. I, I, I think it's something fascinating. Mm-hmm. But you, you talk in your book, another great concept that you bring out is the longing for something, especially one's home, 
the homeland. And, and maybe somehow we're gravitating to these homelands if they're embedded in a person, not just a place. Hirith is the Welsh uh, term mm-hmm. for it. Marcy, we have exactly two minutes left. I wonder if you would let people know, and Julie as well, how to best reach you as the Shoebox Sherpa, Marcy? Yes, uh, you can visit me on my website at marcyjkeithley at gmail.com. Excuse me, that's my email, and my website is also my full name, marcyjkeithley.com, or my email at gmail.com. Perfect. Uh, and on Facebook I, and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And it doesn't have to be, it, correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't have to be about adoption, right? It's anybody's shoebox. Anything oh, yes. we want to yeah, put in the shoebox. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Wonderful. And Julie? Uh, listeners could, could find out more about me and my book at um, juliemcgueauauthor.com. That's my website. And my email is julie at juliemcgueauauthor.com. Um, Perfect. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you very, very much for being with us. It's been such a pleasure to have you, Julie Ryan McGoo and Marcy Keithley. Thank you to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to our executive producer, Robert Cialino, and most of all, to you, our listeners. Remember to stay safe and look into your shoebox. Till next week. Thank you for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.